Father, we thank you for this time to, to gather, to be together, to sing, to rejoice, to pray, to hear from your word. I pray that this would be a time of revelation for our hearts, for the eyes of our hearts to see, for the, the tongue to taste, for the ear to hear, for the nose to smell, for the hand to touch. Lord, we pray for revelation that's tangible this morning. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to draw your attention to a verse you probably didn't even notice in that whole chapter of Isaiah 25. By the way, when, you, when we take chapters at a time, it's, it's, um, it's the preacher's dilemma because I can't preach through all of chapter 25 of Isaiah. I mean, I could, but I want, but the powers that be will not let me. So, I want to draw our attention to the central part of this passage. And as commentators have studied this passage, there's a framework to it. And the central part is verses 6 to 8, and especially verse 6 that says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. Rich a feast of well-aged wine. Yes, wine. And it's not new wine. It's good old wine. Well-aged. Of rich food full of marrow. Which to us is like, what does that mean? But it means like a richness, a goodness. A, a, it's, it's, it's good to the bone. And of aged wine well-refined. This idea of a feast is what I want to draw our attention to this morning. We don't talk about feasting enough. We don't talk about feasting enough. But let me tell you, you all love a feast. You love weddings. You love going to someone's house where they've spread out good food, which is always the case at the Santa Maria house. You love it. You feel lavished. You feel relaxed. You feel served. You feel delight. And you, you seek it. You look forward to it. Because we enjoy good things. Right? We're, we're supposed to enjoy good things. But a feast is not just a good thing. It's a celebration. It is, it is a celebration of... It could be a lot of things. In this passage, it's kind of a celebration of victory. God has victory. And he's celebrating it with his people. But we also celebrate weddings. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate a, a, a host of things. Think about the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. Can you see the Ewoks right now? Can you see those little guys dancing, feasting with the tiki torches and that treehouse thing, whatever that is on that planet in Return of the Jedi? What planet is that? There we go, JJ. It's the forest moon of Endor. We now know who the certified Star Wars nerd is in the room. Don't worry, I love Star Wars. I, so think about that party. They're just going crazy. They've just defeated the Empire, and they are going crazy with the Ewoks. They are dancing. Do you remember the dancing tune? There's like a flute to it. There's like a little, it's like a, almost jungle music. 
It's great. I always think about that as a, as a sign of celebration of victory. But some of you are a little more refined, so you think about C.S. Lewis and Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Right? Oh, I just heard a gasp there. Oh, Narnia. Just saying the word purifies my soul. Narnia, listen to this. This is when Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, right at the end, they've defeated the witch, right? It's another celebration of victory, but it's also a coronation celebration where the four Pevensey children are being coronated as kings and queens of Narnia, and they have this feast, and it says, and that night there was a great feast in Ker Paravel, the castle, and revelry, and dancing, and gold flashed, and wine flowed. So the children were drinking wine and answering to the music inside. This is the feast that was going on. Uh, some of us uh, were in India and celebrated a birthday feast, and it was a feast at the home of Manoj, one of our partners in India. The dryers know what I'm talking about. We were there together. We, we encountered this. We took it in with all of our senses. It was a party. I know you all love your kids, but you don't love them as much as Manoj loves his daughter. This party was off the chain. It was, everybody in India was there. It was filled, they have a house that, that they use the rooftops. Uh, it's a flat roof and they use those a lot in India. Every floor of the house, including the roof, where actually the party was mainly happening, was on the roof, was filled. And there was music, there was dancing, like children got up and did choreographed dances. There were streamers, there were about a thousand balloons tied together over the stage, and there was a stage. And it, and it had a DJ, and, there were, and we were there. Why were we there? I don't even know. We weren't, I don't know Manoja's daughter. Everybody was invited. Everybody, Manoj's friends, people that were planting churches, and there was feasting. It was food. I couldn't eat all of it. I would have vomited if I had kept eating. Not because it was bad. It was, it was Indian food. Come on. It was great. They also had things that I think for dessert that were just basically sugar in water with flour or something. I don't know, but it was, it was just sugar, straight sugar. And it was, it was so fun. There were, I think there were even sparklers or something like that, if I remember correctly. There were also pegs in the ground that shot up and you could get hurt on those. <laughs> this was a feast. And I love the lavishness of the feast that this dad put on for his daughter. I love it. It's so un-American, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's so un-Iowa at least. We're very, we're tempered, we're good people. Listen, I grew up here, I get it. But let's go for it. Let's be lavish. Do you find yourself longing for this? Do you find this as a longing in your heart some days? I know for me it's a longing that, that comes and goes. It's like, it's like a flash in my, in my thinking that in the drudgery of the week and, and in the, the tired, tiredness of life, you get flashes and glimpses of feasting. 
You, you think about the beer at the end of the day when it's after a hard day of work and you can sit down and have a beer. Maybe, you, maybe it's when you think about the ice cream you can have after the kids go to bed so that they're not feasting. You look forward to the feast, whether it's simply a beer or whether it's a lavish meal. You look forward to the rest. You look forward to it. And yet, it always escapes us. It always is just around the corner. It's always just a little bit further. It's always just a little bit beyond what we can experience now. I look to this. I long for it. It seems far off sometimes. I can hear the music. Sometimes does it seem like in in our Christian walk, because I'm talking to Christians for the most part here, does it seem like you're settling for something, like just being right? You're just settling for being right, especially today and all the arguments going on? What if you could just be right? What if that person could see you as smart? What if that person could see you as trustworthy? What if they could see you as a servant? What if they could see you as loving everybody? Would that be okay? Would that be it? Is that what you look forward to? Is that what gets you in in and through the day? Just be right. Sometimes we settle for just being praised by others as long as... That person can like me. Sometimes it's even more holy than that. It's we just settle for having an impact. Now I've heard so many things about, well, what about the church here and what about the church there? Nobody's going to trust the church if they act like this. Nobody's going to believe you if you act like that. You want to have an impact. You want the church to have an impact. But let me tell you something that's settling for less. We are not meant to have an impact. We are meant to be impacted. We are meant to be overcome. And only then will you impact. Because there is a place for that in the kingdom of God. I hope there is, right? Jesus certainly showed us there is. But how does it come, friends? How does it come? How do we have an impact? I think the reason that sometimes we go to these lesser things is because we ourselves are being feasted on. There's no, I love Bob Dylan. He says, you either got faith or you got unbelief, and there ain't no neutral ground. There's no neutral territory in this life. You don't either feast or just not feast. You either feast or you are feasted on. You either partake or something partakes of you. I want to read this quote from C.S. Lewis because I only preach a few times a year. I've got to quote C.S. Lewis. Um, he's writing the screw tape letters, and this is Wormwood who is um, training like a lesser demon. These are demons that are being uh, personified by C.S. Lewis in this book, Screw Tape Letters. And here's what Wormwood says to Screw Tape To us, a human is primarily food. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours, the increase of our own area of selfhood at its expense, Wormwood says. But the obedience which the enemy demands of men, and the enemy here is God, because these are demons talking, 
So the obedience which the enemy demands of men is quite a different thing. We want cattle who finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. As we consume our sinful, petty delights, we are being consumed. This is the alternative to feasting on the riches of God. It's to be feasted on. So what do you come here today? Let's not fool ourselves. We all come here this morning feasting on sin and therefore being feasted on by that sin. We come depleted. We come hungry. We come starved. Even as believers, because this is a war. This is a battle that we face. What do you come with today? What are you feasting on? You, we can name those things, right? I already named a few of them. Fear of man. Pleasing people. Looking right. Doing, doing, doing. Serving, serving, serving. Just so that you can feel justified. Lusting after the flesh in many, many different ways. What do you come with this morning? You see, we need a feast in the midst of our sin. We need a feast in the midst of our own being consumed. We're starving for substance. And so what is the tone of this feast? As we come to verse 6, where he says there's a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. What is the tone of this feast? What is it actually feeling like? What is it sounding like? I want to read a quote from a guy named Dan Allender, who is a psychologist, and he writes, um, I, like, I like a lot of what he writes. I don't obviously agree with everything he writes, but I love what he says here about the Sabbath. And we'll get to the Sabbath in a little bit. He says, on one Sabbath night in Ethiopia, my wife and I had the privilege of being at the home of our translator, Wand. Wand's wife had soaked the lamb in spices for several days. The home had been cleaned and prepared for us as if we were royalty. And I will never forget those first few moments of the family's delight when we entered their home. As the door opened, the children's faces were wild with curiosity and they clamored to get a look at their strange visitors. We were enveloped in their care. The fragrance of the meal we were about to eat was in the air. It was abundantly clear that we were eating an extravagant meal that may have cost what the family would spend on food in a month. The sacrifice of the family was part of their joy. There was no way to reciprocate other than to join in their joy and to add to their immense sacrifice our humble gratitude in being so undeservedly blessed. Jesus' way of being with others was a feast ethic. All meals and all joys around a table are a reminder of the feast of the coming kingdom. We are to eat and anticipate the day of plenty in which we will dine with Jesus at the head of the table. He goes on to say, as they ate and their children, they didn't talk about 
theology necessarily, but he says, but in a way we did because we feasted in the joy of the Lord. He says, as we enjoyed our meal together, we heard stories about each of Juan's children. And when their father told of their feasts of, feats of bravery, wisdom, kindness, they beamed. The children beamed. I had never seen a father so proud and so free to glory in his children. I could not keep from wondering what it would be like to have a father speak about me with such joy. What if the Sabbath is creating space to hear the Father speak to us as His beloved, as He serves us as the host? What would that be like to hear the Father speak about you with joy as He serves you a feast? What would that be like? You see, we don't ask that question enough, guys. We don't ask the question enough, what would it be like to be spoken over by your Father what would it be like to, to do that in the presence of a feast that He, that He has set for you? It says in here, in verse 6, that the Lord of hosts will make the feast. He doesn't have servants do it and then He shows up, He's like, hey, thanks for taking care of that. Where's my son? Come on in here, we're going to have a feast. He has gone to great lengths. He has soaked the lamb in spices for decades. Preparing for you. Preparing for you a feast. He is not surprised by your presence. He has planned it. And He would love, He would love for you to receive. He would love for you to partake of His feast. You see, the tone of the feast is the pleasure of the Father. The tone of the feast is the pleasure. This is Father's Day, right? It's no mistake this is Father's Day. This is a day to delight in the Father. <laughs> you, can't, you can't please the Father any other way than to receive from Him. You cannot please Him any other way than to receive. You can't, you can't, you cannot do enough. You can't do enough, friends. I have the pleasure of my dad being here with us this morning. And he is a good dad. And he, I have learned, and one of the beauties of, of my life is that I have been shown I don't have to do anything for him. I'm tempted to. I like doing things for Him. But I know at the end of the day, He's pleased with me because I'm His son. I know that you don't all have a dad like that. 
I know that. But you do. You do. You really actually do. And he's much better than my dad. He actually can serve you. And he actually can satisfy you. And he actually wants to. More than anything. Luke chapter 15 presents us with the prodigal son. But it's not named correctly. As Tim Keller has called it, it's the prodigal God. Prodigal means lavish, almost wasteful. The reckless love of God, as some have called it in a song. It's the reckless. It's not reckless in a sense of it has no direction, it has no meaning. It's reckless in that it's lavish. It is over the top. Let's listen to this from Luke 15. But while he was still a long way off, the son, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. <laughs> but the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Remember the feast. And celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is the heart of the Father. It's the pleasure of the Father. It's the tone of the feast. In Isaiah 55, uh, it says that, Come to the waters, he who has no money. You see, you have no way. You have no way. Even if you wanted to, you have no way to pay for this. You have no way to earn this feast. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Uh, I don't know why wine and milk go together. Without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in the richest of fare. Rich food. In Revelation 21, this idea of free refreshment and sonship are connected. And I, I, I think this is amazing. In Revelation 21, it's talking about drinking. And the idea of a feast being satisfied is also connected to this idea of drinking the waters. And it says in Revelation 21, 6, He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will, bless, I will be his God, and he will be my son. Without payment. We've already seen that Jesus 
is a foretaste of this feast. And Scripture makes it very clear that Jesus is the, fore, is the foretaste of what's to come. That Jesus is the way that God serves the feast. God has prepared a lamb. God has prepared a son to be sacrificed. It says in the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, yeah, there is one, by the way, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, the imagery of the biblical feast is an image of joyful celebration of the love of God for His people, which came to fulfillment and fruition in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. On Mount Zion of Jerusalem, remember, it says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make a feast. There's many meanings to that mountain. One of them is that God on Mount Zion in Jerusalem has prepared a feast. The central location of biblical feasts is Jerusalem, and the Lord has prepared it. So we celebrate by feasting on Jesus now. Jesus says in Luke 22, when talking to his disciples at the Last Supper, the last feast, as he's celebrating Passover with them, he says to them in verse 19, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body. This is me given for you. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. There's uh, an Anglican liturgical uh, phrase. I, I used to go to an Anglican church. Some, don't worry, I'm okay. Um, I used to go to an Anglican church in college, and we would do the liturgy. They would write everything out, and you just read through it, and then you sing. It was, it was really actually very, very good. I loved it. But w I always loved this phrase, um, right before communion. We call it communion. They call it the Eucharist. Um, right before communion, they would, the priest would, would, would say something, and he would say this. He'd say, Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. I always loved that because it painted communion as a feast. Because it is. When we take communion, we eat his body and we drink his blood in a metaphorical way. And it's, it's feasting on Jesus. It's feasting on his goodness. It's feasting on what he's done toward us. That he's given it for us. We feast on Jesus that liturgy is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 to 8, where Paul says that about, let us keep the feast of Christ the Passover lamb, who, who is the one that he's referring to in that part of 1 Corinthians, actually, in, in comparison to feasting on the, the world, feasting on the things of the world. And he says, instead, let us partake of the unleavened bread, he talks about, of Jesus, the pure one, and we partake of him and take him in. We feast on Jesus. But this is not the end. Jesus is not the end, right? We, this is a shadow of what is to come. And what is to come is the eternal feast. So on this mountain can be Mount Zion. It can point to the sun. But this mountain is also the new earth. 
I talked in a few weeks ago about Isaiah chapter 11, how the mountain of the Lord is, becomes the entire earth. And the mountain of the Lord is the place of worship. It's the place of His habitation where He dwells. And the whole earth has become the mountain of the Lord. It's the new earth, the recreated earth. And this is the place of the coming feast. In Revelation 19, it says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper, the feast of the Lamb, who are invited to this place. It says, again in the dictionary, it says, The imagery of biblical feasting still points to the future when the Lord God will resurrect all His people from every age to live with Him in eternal joy. Every feast celebrated to the Lord is but a foretaste of that glorious day. Every feast is a foretaste of the feast. But what does this actually mean for us? What does this actually mean to receive from the Lord? And what does that lead to in our lives? What does that manifest as? How does that look? In verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 25, it says that we wait for the Lord. And I think that that waiting shows itself in particular ways. You see, we, we wait by feasting. We partake of what He has given us as we wait for the ultimate consummation of the feast. We feast now. But as we feast, we are witnesses to the feast. We have to partake. Like I said, we cannot have impact without being impacted. We cannot have a way to give free delights to the rest of the world and say, here, do what I do. Believe what I believe. Follow this God. We can't do that if we have not ourselves received. Otherwise, what are we doing? As Jesus says to the Pharisees, we make them twice the son of hell we are. If your vision is not the feast of the Lord, you are being feasted on and you serve your father, the devil. This is how Jesus talks to the Pharisees. It's, there's a word of warning. There's a word of warning in this. And in the whole of chapter 25 in Isaiah, there's a, there's a warning to Moab. Moab. Because Moab, in its arrogance, has set itself up against the Lord. In its pride, it has resisted the feast of God. And there is a warning there. It's not, it's not simply a nice thing to talk about the feast of the Lord. It is a, a grave thing. Be because, like I said, if you, don't, if you don't have vision, and I'm not talking about full-fledged like I'm always feasting, but if this is not your vision, if this is not what life with God points to, what are we doing? It's not just a waste of time. It's evil. And you will not love your neighbor. You will not care for the orphan and the widow if you don't feast on the one who gives. This is a word of warning, especially in our day today. There is no other way 
to serve the world than to be served by the Father. There's no other way. In Psalm 36, this is the picture of those that David's talking about in Psalm 36, and he, uh, of those who, who are of the Father. He says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. We have to receive from him if we are going to give. I think there's a few ways to do that. I've talked about the Sabbath. And Dan Allender, in that quote I read earlier, talks about how that was a Sabbath day that they were feasting with their friends in Ethiopia. The Sabbath is not a legalistic binding thing on you, but it is a gift. And it is to be delighted in. Uh, we started observing more of a day off, so to speak, as a family. And it's been good. It's not easy. But it's a time when you can set it aside and you can say, this is a day together as a family. We seek to feast. We feast together. Maybe we invite somebody into that feast with us. But it's not a day to labor. It's not a day to get things done. It's not a day to just chill out. It's a day to engage in a feast. Maybe that's a day you need to take. It reminds us of the feast to come. Worship through song, through prayer, through the reading of God's Word. Worship is a way to feast. I love to sing. I love to play my guitar and my piano and sing to the Lord alone and with others. It is a way that I feast. I can't name one more significant way for myself. It's not true for everybody, but for me, I feast when I sing. It is so good for my soul. You feast in the presence of your enemies. In Psalm 23, it says that the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He prepares a table. There's a, there's a power in feasting in worship, and it scatters the enemy. These are ways to receive, but I want to finish with this idea of hospitality, because hospitality is another way that we both receive and give at the same time. And it's very, very interesting to me how Jesus ties hospitality to the outcast. You see, hospitality in the biblical sense is not just having a nice dinner for your friends. Hospitality is to go to the streets and invite everyone. Remember Manoj, how I said he invited everyone, their neighbors, unbelievers. They invited everyone to the party. And I think that this is the way that God shows us how he's invited us in. You see, you, you were not already friends with God when he invited you to his feast. You were enemies, and you were poor, and you were needy. Remember, you have nothing. You can't give him anything. It comes free because you have nothing to pay. And there's something beautiful and significant when we invite 
people into our home that have not earned our pleasure. They have not earned your respect. They have not earned the right to destroy your toys. <laughs> Can I get an amen? They might tell your kids to shut up. They might be rude. Invite them in. They might be of a certain persuasion that you don't care for. Invite them in. This, I don't, there's, it's such a significant way to display the gospel. And when you invite them in, don't give them leftovers. Give them a feast. Whether it's your cooking, whether it's your soul, open up your heart to them. Do not just placate those you don't like or those that you otherwise don't understand or those that are different than you. Don't just placate them. Friends, the world doesn't just need nice Christians who invite the lowly into their home. The world needs people who give value and dignity to the poor, that treat them as a brother. This is power. This is adoption. It's powerful. It is beauty. Listen to Jesus in Luke 14. Listen to this. When you give a dinner or a banquet... Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives of, or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And in that time, those were the outcasts. The mentally unstable, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You will be repaid from the Lord's table. He is enough for you. He is enough for your soul, and so you can give. You can give to those who will not give back. I want to end with a story. I'm already a little bit over time. But I want to end with a story of Stephanie and I being in India over 10 years ago. And we, were, we spent a month um, in a neighborhood with a family that had a church, a small church. And we would go out two by two for those four weeks and make friends and connections in the neighborhood with, with a translator sometimes. Other times, the people would speak English with us. And we befriended people for that month. We got to know them. I remember sitting with a man named Pandit Raj. He was an older man. He didn't have a lot of teeth. A little bit senile. Kind of reminded me of Gandhi. No. But he was, he, was a, he was a man. He was a person. He was a human. He was a Hindu. 
And I would sit with him on his porch and I would talk with him and I would hear from him and I would learn from him and he would hear from me as I talked about Jesus and I talked about religion. And, and this man became a friend in a, in a way. And at the end of our four weeks, we said to our host family, why don't we throw a party for these people that we've met in your neighborhood? And initially, it was such a new idea to this Christian family because in India, Christian families can tend to isolate because they are the minority. And they huddle together and they judge the outsider, which we don't do that in America. <laughs> but they do there, you know, you get my point. And they, there was, this man Pandit Raj one day came to the gate of the house and the, and the family yelled at him and threw, like, told him to go away. And I said, what are you doing? I said, this is my friend. It took a change of thinking. It's going to take a change of thinking for us by the power of the Spirit as we receive from our Father and are softened to start inviting those into our lives that don't look like us, that don't sound like us, that don't smell like us. And Pandit Raj, a couple weeks later, came back when, when we had the love feast. We call it a love feast, which is a biblical thing, the love feast. And he came back along with all the neighbors, and we set out banana leaves on the floor because that's a sign of respect and hospitality in India, the banana leaf. It's a big leaf. It's a plate. And you sit on the floor and you eat together and we, we feasted and we had music. We had dancing. There were children playing. And after that, that family, after we left, that family continued to have their neighbors in to their home. Continued to be part of that neighborhood. And one of the members of the family, the, 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 the oldest son who kind of led the church, he remarked that he had never thought this way before. And to this day, as far as I know, they, they've still had an impact in that neighborhood. And other teams from our mission organization have gone there to be a part of that. But I just share that as an example. that this is the, It's a beautiful thing to invite those in that you otherwise wouldn't. So as we end today, I want to, the worship team can come up. I didn't know where, exactly where this would head, but I, I think it's clear. Like the Lord is here today, right now. And if you, if you feel it and sense in your spirit that you just don't receive, it's just been a hard season, it's just been a hard time to receive from the Lord. You have distractions. You have things going on in life that are just difficult. You have all kinds of things. The Lord would say to you, come to the table. Come to the banquet that I've prepared for you now. Right now. Right here. As we sing, as we pray to end this morning, ask the Lord to come and meet you. To, that you would that He would give you the ability to taste His feast, that He would give you signs of His presence, that the pleasure of the Father would come over you this morning.
and pray that your life would be a reflection of that. Pray that the Lord would show you the areas of your heart where you just want to give to those that give back. The areas of your heart where you just want to be with those that are comfortable. And ask the Lord to tenderize your heart. Ask Him to bring scriptures to your mind this week that point you to the needy around you. And the needy might be rich, okay? But they're needy in their soul. Who are those people? As you feast with the Father, you will feast with all in the abundance of His house. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your feast. Even though we cannot partake of Your supper of the body and the blood today right here, we do thank You for that. We thank You for the blood and the wine, uh, the, 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 the blood and, and, and Your body given for us. God, would You show us the beauty of Your redemption and the beauty of Your presence and You're giving presence to us. We love You. Amen.